Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I respect all the titles on my dogs, but when I'm wild bird hunting, those titles don't mean a thing. Those birds don't care less how many titles you have on those dogs. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? You train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field of prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. Me and Adam uh, are joined by the Bluegrass Uplanders once again this week. Yeah, we had a really good time. Went out and chased uh, some bobwhite quail in Kentucky. Yep. And managed to put up two or three coveys. Is that right? uh on the first day and then the, yeah. the second day the the group found another two i think yeah so i mean not a huge number of birds but wasn't a strikeout either yeah but like yeah. we always talk about around here finding wild birds is a is a treat yeah. so and it was I, good i was really uh happy with how that property looked that was the first time we hunted in kentucky and they've been doing a lot of focus on quail in that one particular area really i mean the habitat was there Every and bit of it looked it, great. I mean, everywhere you look, looked phenomenal for quail. It was honestly hard to pick out where you wanted to go 
hunt. <laughs> there was yeah. so much good habitat. But uh, yeah, so the group found a few birds, bagged a few on Sunday. Uh, we didn't bag any out of the uh, ones that we found Saturday, but uh, we were able to, I think Brandon put down a few on uh, Sunday himself and uh, you found a big uh, deadhead. So yeah. there's that. <laughs> well, Maisie, the, the griff found the deadhead and then we the went back. Griff. And, yeah, we went back and uh, made sure to bring that thing home with us. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we all piled into a cheap hotel room on Saturday <laughs> night and recorded. There was, I don't know, eight of us in there. Yeah, there's quite a big number, and so it was sweltering in that hotel. I think the the AC or heater was broken because we got off that elevator on that floor, and it just hit you like a ton of bricks. It was a sauna, and we're all just sitting there. So we sweated for this podcast, guys. You better appreciate this. That's right. Uh, we did get to talk about UFTA quite a bit, so that was yep. that was a good time, something we don't get to talk about very much, and we don't have any experience with that so it was nice to talk about something different and get educated on that stuff yeah and so you'll hear a lot about ufta you'll hear uh we kind of pressured a couple guys into to uh admitting that they're going to go the the diy route of training instead of the pro trainer so uh you'll hear a lot of diy versus pro and then ufta and everything in between and uh you'll hear about our our great amazing war story about storming the beaches yeah the beaches of uh normandy and uh (laughs) i'm not sure if we actually covered it in the podcast we we talked about the guy that was there in the parking lot and we oh we covered it we ended up don't don't even give it away well yeah but (laughs) we we did go in a different direction we didn't crowd this guy out i won't ruin it But, uh, yeah, so it, it's a conversation that spans a lot of ground, and uh, we really enjoyed it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And uh, so we'll get to them again here in a second. And then, uh, but got to touch real quick on uh, the Patreon. Go uh, check out patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. It goes a long way to help us out. And also, it, 10% of our earnings at the end of the month is going to go to the spotlight of the month. And uh, we had K9s for Warriors. This month, next month, we have another one lined up. You'll hear about that here soon. But, uh, yeah, it's a good cause. And uh, we do have a little bit of swag from Canines for Warriors that we're going to give away to uh, Patreon users only. And so be sure to check that out. Yeah, I think this week we got maybe one one new uh, Patreon patron. So that We actually got two. Two, okay. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it, I – Every time it comes across saying that we got another one, I'm just like, really? People actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people want to support us that way. But it, I mean, it, it really does mean a lot to us, and uh, we're just glad that people enjoy it. That's least. all it takes to get us excited is one dollar a month commitment. Yeah. And we're like, yeah. man, this is great. <laughs> yeah, we don't need a hundred dollars. I mean, if you want to throw it our way, sure. But uh, yeah, we have a couple tiers up there, one, five, and ten. And so there's a few options. And then eventually, uh, obviously, we're going to be doing the spotlight giveaways to just Patreon users. But also, uh, when we do our regular Instagram giveaways, we're going to have a pretty substantial giveaway coming here in a few weeks. But the Patreon users get a few extra names in the hat. So again, please check that out. We don't want to hammer it in too much, but uh, yeah, it's out there. So go check it out. And then with the other giveaway coming up here in a few weeks, be sure to follow us Instagram, Facebook, and dog it yourself. And uh, we appreciate all you listeners and we'll check back next week.
If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's 5-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, so we're joined here with the Bluegrass Uplanders. We're coming live from uh, Normandy, Kentucky, and uh, we just got done storming the beaches. Who wants to tell that story real quick? I'll tell that story. So uh, we pull up to a uh, nice little public hunting spot, and there was another gentleman had arrived uh, slightly just before us. Like, we must have just pulled up right as he had pulled up, and he got out of his truck, and he had a couple of beagles, and he was getting ready to go hunting, and so he gets out, and I walked up to him, and I got out my hunting app and showed him the map, and I said, hey, you know, there's a big area out here, and uh, you want to tell us which way you're going, and we'll make sure we go the other way. Well, right as I'm talking with him about that, he's kind of he's a little upset, but he wasn't too mad. Well, right after that, the next four trucks pull up, eight dogs on the ground, and uh, he starts to get a little bit upset, and uh, he decided that... Uh, he proceeded to tell us to go somewhere else because he felt like he was getting set up, like getting stormed at the beaches of Normandy. <laughs> so Normandy, Kentucky, that's where we're at and freaking out there. And he, he also, yeah, decided that he had seen us that morning at the Waffle House. I don't, was anybody at the Waffle House? Nobody was at the Waffle House. <laughs> Nobody's at the Waffle House. But he says, I saw y'all at the Waffle House and now y'all come out here and getting him a spot. And anyway, uh, long story short, by the time that we got out into the field we were half a mile away from before we started hunting dogs and i think he hunted about a half mile radius around the truck so yeah we asked him which direction he was going and he wouldn't even tell us right or left or straight or anything so we walked up to the top of the berm and saw that he went right and we all went left and and stayed out of his way pretty much but uh we did do good today we found uh two coveys is that right two coveys and a couple singles so Pretty good for public land in Normandy, Kentucky. <laughs> Normandy, Kentucky. I <laughs> so, just checked my watch. I think we walked uh, 27,000 steps. I got on mine. So. so real quick, go around the room, introduce everybody in y'all's group. Corey, we did an episode a few weeks back, and uh, so everybody's kind of familiar with you, but let's kind of introduce everybody else here in the group. Okay. Go ahead, Eric. Well, I'll go first. Uh, my name is Eric Mills, and... Uh, I'm a military man who's the son of a military man. The longest I've ever lived anywhere is five years my entire life. And uh, so I've got the opportunity to hunt all over the country and uh, really enjoy bird dogs. I have my kind of started or my first start to finish bird dog I have right now, Finn, two-year-old uh, German shorthair pointer. So took him from an eight-week-old puppy to what I think now is a pretty reliable bird dog. Hey, this is Josh. Um, give you a little bit of background. I, I uh, have several, several short hairs. I think eight right now. I have a... Uh, Two or have a Britney Spaniel and a little English Cocker as well. Got my first flushing dog just about about three or four weeks ago. Surprised my wife came home from a trip to Mississippi and uh, woke her up that night about one o'clock in the morning, I guess. And she uh, woke up to a, a little English Cocker in her in her in the bed, and that was exciting. So now you're in the doghouse. So now I'm in the doghouse. That's exactly right. 
um, live here in Kentucky. Joined the Bluegrass Uplanders here with Corey and Eric and, and Dylan. Back in, I think we started this group back in December. Just, just as a, you know, as you mentioned before, just a group of group of guys that, that love dogs and love love hunting and just have a passion for the sport. Um, I got into it growing up. I grew up in Illinois. Had a grew up bird hunting with my dad and had short hairs. And we uh, lost my lost my last short hair whenever I was about a sophomore in high school. Then. My children, my oldest son was getting old enough. He wanted to start bird hunting. And so we got a, got our first short hair back in about 2014, I guess, and just kind of grown from there. But love, love the sport. All right. Well, I'm Dylan Mattingly, and uh, I just got into this here. I don't know. What, we, what was the first time I went hunting? Like two years ago, probably. Yeah. I met uh, Corey. Actually, I sold him a gun off Facebook. <laughs> and that's how we pretty much all met here yeah. is either buying guns or selling dogs or just crazy stuff meeting at you know field trials uh i just got my first dog this year his name's gator he's kind of my little baby <laughs> i get made fun of a lot here because of my dog sleeping inside with me but uh yeah that's that's me Sleeping inside, by inside you mean inside your bed? Yeah. Yeah, he sleeps in bed with me. I mean, because my dog sleeps inside, but not in my bed. No, he sleeps in bed with me. (laughs) Somebody's got to keep him warm at night, right? Oh, yeah. And then we've got honorary member, a really good friend of mine. Is that the classification? Honorary member. One of my best friends. (laughs) And as we talked, and you guys have mentioned in other podcasts, having mentors in this whole thing, Brandon, I definitely go to him. You know, when I have a question about something, and, and I've known him for about seven years through UFTA is how I met him. Yeah. Um, well, let's get let's get one thing straight. When he's when Corey says Brandon is his mentor, he means if you ever disagree with Corey, he'd be like, "Well, that's how Brandon does it. That's exactly how Brandon does it." I don't so, do everything right. Believe. So really, what I just heard there is you're kind of the founder of Bluegrass <laughs> Uplanders. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't know about all that. No, no. Probably elevated your bird dog game. Absolutely helped you at least. Absolutely, yeah. So um, we're we're into NAVDA, which is not competitive because you're just training to a standard. And UFTA is obviously very competitive. So yeah. how's that work with a mentor? Where are you like helping him out on a Friday and then Saturday, yeah, Saturday morning? You're like to lay it to him. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Well, to a point. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're all like, I mean, when we travel for trials and stuff, we're all friends, but. You cut that dog loose at the gate. You're trying to beat everyone there, no matter if it's your friend or not. You know, it's that's all I kind of. But you can't go out there and like, oh, hey, Corey's like in first. I'm gonna ease up on it maybe if I yeah. get a chance to win it. Well, that I don't no. know that this is 100 percent true, but I heard like the UFTA started as a group of folks that you know bragging on their dogs and trying to extend their season, and would literally put down some money on who they thought was gonna have the fastest run. Yeah, you know, and uh, and much. make it a friendly competition. So we keep it friendly competition. Yeah. So it is friendly. You guys might even travel together to a trial. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then compete against each other and still be friends on the way back. Absolutely. Do you ever run into some like awkward truck rides home from a from a weekend of trials or anything? No. Not really? usually too burned out and tired. Yeah. I mean yeah. literally we've traveled when we competed for high point dogs and doubles, we traveled together. The guy that I was competing with against the other guys, we followed each other to the trial, competed with each other, and like, okay, who's winning this thing? Yeah, I think my view you know, on it, it is comes that down, down to it. My view on it is that you know we're just happy one of them comes home. Somebody yeah. comes home with some hardware, you know, in the whole deal. So if one of us wins, it's it's a good deal. 
So, so is it just you, Corey, Eric, and and Brandon doing UFTA, or Josh? Do you do that at all? No, as I, well? I do UFTA as well. Yeah, yeah and it's I, it's really it's really a cool it, it's a it, it's a cool event. Um, you know, like what they were saying. We, you know, when we get out in the field, we're we're our own person. You know, it's it, you're out there with your dog, you're doing your thing, and your goal is to beat everybody else. But when you come off the field, I mean, I've never came off the field and said, you know, a guy said something derogatory to you or bad, you know, they're always, man, that was a great run or man, that was bad, bad luck. Or, you know, it's, it, it, everybody is super supportive. I mean, they really are. No everybody's out there to beat everybody. Yeah. Everybody's out there to beat everybody. But, but I mean, everybody is super supportive and super helpful. And I, I haven't met anybody at this point. I've been doing it. This is my third year in UFTA. And I, I have not met anybody at this point that's not willing to open up and help out. Okay, so I've always been curious about that because, like like Adam mentioned, we don't come from that competitive side of the dog world, but it, it always seemed to me like competitive nature in people kind of brings out some of the worst qualities in, in uh, their characteristics. I was always wondering if, you know, you're in the field, you may be friends outside the field, but in the field it's just like, all right, man, like I saw that cheap shot, like you – you know, it, you you called your dog wrong to mess up my dog or whatever. Like we've all heard kind of some horror stories on that, but y'all are saying that y'all don't really come across well, that very often. And, and we don't brace up against other people in the field. So when you go out in the field, you're the only people in the field hunting at that time are you and your dog, and you have a judge. You have a judge out there with you. So the only time you're out in the field with somebody else is when you're running doubles as a partner. So I mean, you all just like what Brandon was just saying. I mean, you all are out there working as a team to do the best that you can do. So you have two guys, two dogs, and obviously the judge, each each handler has a judge. Um, but when you go out in the field, I mean, you're not braced up against anybody else like what you are with AKC or I believe NAVDA, I think you're braced up with somebody um, in the Invitational. Yeah, only and, in the Invitational. Um, but when you go out in the field, you're, you're out there on your own. Your goal is to find three birds and shoot them and have the dog retrieve them to hand just as quick as you can. So... Do you guys use any specific training methods for getting ready for that? I mean, NAVDA, we have birds. some pretty, I mean, there's different ways, but birds. lots of birds. birds. Well, that's when I started, I started uh, training my dog before I knew these guys. And well, I knew Corey, uh, but, uh, you know, I just coming back into this, I'd had a, a started dog that I'd had once in the past, but this was my first puppy that I was going to try and go start to finish. So I just was looking around and I bought the, the George Hickox video series, Pointing Dogs, and and uh, basically just worked through that step by step and tried to be patient because the hardest part about that when you when you watch like a series like that is you want to jump ahead you want your dog to be that much further ahead and uh, it really benefits you not to jump ahead at all to really finish step by step because you don't realize uh, some of the things that go into that what what you know a place kind of command is actually teaching the dog to move away from you you know and so when you introduce a collar and your and your dog already knows the place, and you you give him some some low intensity collar, and you tell him to place. You know he's not coming to you every time you push the collar, because if you start working according to the theory in that, if you start working him like on the come command first, and you you do that, then the dog thinks every time you push that that button and put apply a little pressure that it needs to come right to you. So you want to work the away commands first, and you wouldn't put that together unless you would watch that video series and, and we're living by that theory. So that's kind of what I go. That with. makes a lot of sense. So Corey and Dylan both have. Uh puppies right now that are about five months old or yeah we i'm, I'm four months three of us do yeah so and josh I, has a puppy I, too i have 
I have a short hair puppy. I have that English cocker yep. puppy, and I have yeah. <laughs> There's so many dogs. We can't even. It's not that. It's not that bad, really. I have I have eight short hairs. Four four males, four females. Um, three of them are a year old, and then the two young pups, five okay. month five month old pups. So we were talking earlier about you guys wanting to send your dogs off to a trainer, and we had a good conversation at dinner about you know the benefits of doing it yourself. I think it's uh, it's more rewarding in the end. And then you, you kind of know every little baby step that that dog has been through by doing it yourself. But you guys are maybe halfway sold. Maybe we sold you at dinner on doing it yourself. But, I mean, let's talk about the benefits of the pro trainer. Like, how'd you, how'd you guys get to that point uh, for... I think it comes to some of us is time, really. Yeah. And for me, it's it's not that I don't have the confidence that I can do it. The potential... Cause the puppy that I have came from um, two of Brandon's dogs, Raz and Onyx, and uh, absolute phenomenal dogs to hunt with, phenomenal dogs in the UFTA. I think both of them are – Raz is a doubles national champ and then – Open national champ as well. Open, and then Onyx. She's a 14-time field champion. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm <laughs> so just, her first rodeo, huh? Yeah. So, I, I you know, the potential that this pup has – and it's not that I don't want to train it myself. And, and you guys, I, I think that conversation that we had at dinner with all of us, you know, it, it might might lead me to just doing it myself now. Right. Because as you said, you know, and my thought process on it was because we were thinking about having the guy that Dylan got his puppy from train both of them. But then we'd have to have another guy force fetch because he doesn't force fetch. Well, then the other guy that we were going to have force fetch, I was we might as well send him to him to do that but i feel like exactly what you said if i know what is going into it then i'm going to have better confidence in that dog regardless so we we know some accomplished bird dog trainers Mm -hmm. and you you have confidence in what i do and then if you've never trained your own bird dog start to finish at what's your confidence level in yourself compared to your confidence level in a professional bird dog trainer and and that's just it you're not really going to gain the confidence to train the dog until you just you just do it and you have enough contacts, mentors, whatever to kind of help you along the process. And, and there's nothing wrong with going to professional trainer. And, you know, this is gun dog it yourself. Some people's way is just going to professional trainer. You know, like we were talking earlier, some people don't have access to birds or fields or their schedules just too crazy kids, just life in general. But for somebody like I'm going to go into Dylan here because this is his first bird dog Corey, you've had them before and you're you're kind of toying with the idea dylan it kind of makes a little more sense for me because this is his first bird dog in general so what did you think about the conversation at dinner and and what what's your kind of thought process right now as personal trainer or not personal trainer professional trainer versus doing it yourself i mean honestly this is I mean, you know, people with new dogs, their first-time dogs are going to completely agree with me. This is pretty scary. I mean, it is a scary experience because you don't, you know, you're you're stuck with this dog for, you know, best part of 12 years. I mean, you are until he gets old and you've got to retire him. But, you know, you've got to put up with this dog for the rest of his life. And it's just you want him to be everything he can be and or she. But whenever – I don't have a whole lot of time – but anytime I do, we're every weekend, we're putting birds in front of our puppies. You know, right now we're out here hunting and I feel bad because Gator's not here because he should be out here in the, you know, in the field. But, you know, 
we've got to do this. But uh, as far as, you know, trainers go, you spend the money, you don't have to worry about anything. You know, your dog's there, you know they're, they're getting experience with birds. You know, they do this for a living. I'm doing it off of YouTube, books. You know, I've got these guys right here helping me every day. You know, I've got three different, four different opinions. You know, and, well, with you guys here, it's totally different. You know, I'm hearing stuff that I haven't heard before. And as of right now, we've been set on sending to a trainer. But, you know, Josh, is he helps me a lot with, you know, just birds and stuff. And his way is totally different than Corey's. Corey's is totally different than Eric's. Well, Brandon is the same as Corey, so, you know. <laughs> but, you know, everybody's got I their... I Corey's the same as Brandon. But. Yeah, everybody has their own opinions on how to, how to raise their dog. I don't push my opinion on anybody. You know, all I've ever done was coon hounds, beagles, you know, a couple squirrel dogs with my cousins and friends. But, you know, with those dogs right there, you pretty much just... They either, ha- either have it or they don't, same as bird dogs. But, you know... You just take them and start them with a finished dog. I mean, that's what you do. You just kind of throw them in there, and then eventually they're going to take off. You know, these these dogs right here, you you know, my first dog, when I'm at home, I don't have another dog there. You know, I'm just putting birds out and praying that he does what he's supposed to do. Yeah, everyone does have their own recipe for how they're going to train their own dog. Uh, and, it, I mean, it's, you pick and choose what you want for your own recipe and make it your own. But – uh I think one of the biggest fallacies is that you send it to a pro trainer and then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that comment. There's a lot you still got to worry about. Yeah, so we'll pick you apart a little bit on that. But there's, <laughs> it's okay. There's, there is absolutely a lot that you have to worry about because you can send a, a dog to a pro trainer, and I'm not bashing pro trainers. There's some great ones out there, and there's some bad ones. Uh, even the good ones, though, you might send a dog to it for – to be trained on one thing, maybe one specific thing that you don't want to do yourself. And then you get it back and, and now you have a, a different problem. So you send it away to get it force fetched. And then when you get it back, now it's, it's blinking birds. It's scared of birds pretty much. It's avoiding birds. So, uh, it kind of gets you back to square one. If you find yourself in that position where you're like, and if you don't know what you're I'm doing, not that capable of doing, we'll just say force fetch. So I'm going to send it off. Well, what makes you capable to fix a dog that's blinking birds now? And I mean, there's... Which is probably a worse problem to have mm-hmm. right. than learning and going through the easy steps of trying to force fetch them yourself. Yeah, so it, it's kind of like you. some people want to send the dog off to the professional trainer because they don't have the confidence in, in doing it to begin with. But when you get it back, you have a whole new set of problems, potentially. Yeah. A good trainer, you don't have to worry about that. But you get one of those questionable trainers, you have a whole new set of issues to uncan. And if you didn't have the confidence to do it from the very beginning the right way and taking your time, then then you're really not going to have the confidence to be like, okay, let's break this down. And where did we go wrong in this training process? But you don't know because you didn't do the process. And so, Josh, you look like you had something to say. You know, I was just thinking about a comment that I made at dinner tonight as far as, is there ever truly a finished dog? You know, a lot of people will take their dog to a trainer and think when they get that dog back, that dog is ready to do exactly what it's supposed to do. But if you don't know how to continue to teach the dog that process, then that dog is never going to get where it needs to be. 
And, you know, I made the comment that, again, I don't think there's truly a finished dog because we are working on those dogs. Always. Always. I mean, it's a continuous thing until we retire that dog that they can't hunt any longer. We're, we're working that dog. We're putting birds out in front of that dog. We're working on whoa. We're working on here. We're throwing the dummies. I mean, and it's something that we're doing every day with that dog. So is it ever really a finished dog? No, I don't think it is. But these people that are taking their dogs to the personal tra- professional trainers, they're thinking, well, I'm going to get that dog back. And I've, I've got a gentleman um, in mind that he, he's had his dog at a trainer for four months. And he gets the dog back. And I volunteer to keep the dog for him for a couple weeks. And I, the dog couldn't, I mean, it, it, this is a retrieving dog. The dog couldn't sit. He couldn't retrieve. So what's he been doing for four months? You know, and again, it goes back to the other conversation we were having is, you know, you take a dog to a trainer and not all dogs are going to learn at the same rate. It's going to take them time, but a dog should be able to set within, within four months. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I would think. <laughs> I did. If, you're, if you're a professional <laughs> trainer, yeah. yeah. And a dog, there's and a lot of professional trainers that like use car salesmen. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it should like, be oh, retrieving that he's bumper. He's doing good, but he needs another month. Yeah, but he needs another month because it's $900, you know. And, yep. oh, and then that month, oh, he, he could use another month. It's another 900 bucks or something, you know, exactly. 700 bucks, whatever it is. And yep. he sees that person that's like, okay, he's he's doing well, but he needs another month. We'll just spend the extra money. And all of a sudden, this personal or this professional trainer has got you roped in for four four months at, mm-hmm. you know, 4000 bucks or something like that, you know. Well, it's just like y'all mentioned. UFTA just started from a group of guys pretty much saying my dog's better than your dog okay prove it well in the dog world that goes with trainers too i'm the best trainer i'll prove it give me your dog and it's just like you have a lot of people that they they can't accept their weaknesses in their own dog let alone themselves and so it's just like oh yeah i've trained my dog to do x y and z charge you 200 bucks a week bring the food and i'll train your dog and then you have no idea what you're getting yourself into and again like adam said earlier there are some good trainers out there you if you are going the personal or i don't know why i keep saying personal trainer <laughs> professional because trainer route so yeah no kidding <laughs> if you're going that route like there's nothing wrong with that just do your homework and get testimonials from other people that have used it because if you just trust anybody that's at the park you know tailgate p- parking lot it's like oh yeah i can train a dog there's no telling what you're going to walk away with on that. I think one of the benefits of, of training the dog yourself start to finish, you know, as we've gone through, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, I'm a, a two-year-old right now. And, uh, when you know, when I get my next dog, there's going to be some things I do different because, and I know what I'm going to do different. Yep. And now some of the problems you do run into, though, is training them yourself is you, you stumble across a problem and you don't know how to fix it. Because if you know how to fix it, you would just do it, right? And so maybe somebody, one of these guys that's more experienced, uh, um, you know, comes out with you, watches you working your dog. Hey, your dog's doing that because you're doing it wrong, mister. It's not the dog's doing something wrong. It's, you know, you don't have the experience or, or maybe, you know, the knowledge on how do I train my dog? How do you force fetch your dog? You know, unless you've seen somebody do it or, or watched one of these professional video series or, or watched or had somebody help you learn that, you know, you can, you can try it. But until somebody teaches you how to teach the dog. You know, so I think that, uh, but like I said, it's truly a benefit, I think, to go through it complete at least one time. So you get that kind of idea on what you would do different next time. Yeah, I think uh, there's got to be genetics uh, playing to it as well. And I'm not going to try to act like I know anything about genetics because I'm I'm, I'm not the guy to, to try to speak on genetics. But if your dog's coming out of a 
14 time champion, right? Uh, with a what's the other one? Two time national champ. Two time national I mean, champ. It's just, I mean, they're our grandmothers. Between, are, yeah, what, grandma, well, mom, and dad? Grandfather is a uh, national champ and two time world champ. So you're talking 30 some championships. Yeah, and so, and, and for me, like going into it with thinking about taking them to a professional trainer, that literally was what has been on the back of my mind. Like, Brandon and I plan on he's the pressure's all, on exactly, and he also kept a puppy out of the litter, a little female, um, and we plan on competing in doubles with those two dogs once they're ready to go, and and you know potentially maybe a high point chase and stuff like that. So, Whoa. hey, you're the one that said <laughs> that to me. That sounds like uh, cha-ching, but, uh, cha-ching. You know, and, and going into this, this is the first puppy I've had in almost eleven years. Um, and, and when I got into it, the the main reason why I got sucked in when I was talking to you guys about that first dog that I got was because that guy had me come up to the house, come look at my dogs. Oh, and by the way, when you buy a puppy here for its first year of life, you bring it here every weekend and I will help you. So, you know what I mean? And that, but having all these started dogs that I've gotten um, and the one dog that, that Brandon helped me get, Jed... I mean, he went to a professional trainer in uh, for three months, mm-hmm. a very well-known, big-name yep. professional trainer. Yep. Everything that that dog does now, the basis was there from that. But I would have expected a lot more out of what that guy paid to send mm-hmm. that dog to that trainer. Jed's an amazing dog. I mean, his long nose, handles great. When you call him... I, I have to tone him with the, the, the collar. I never shocked that dog. But for what the guy paid to send him there, the dog should have been force-fetched for the yeah. amount of time that he was there. Yeah, when and, the guy called me and said, hey, I got this dog available. I'm giving it away. I just don't have time to, to run it. I got three kids. They're playing sports. I got a bunch of other dogs. I'm getting rid of a this pointer and another dog he was getting rid of. And he says, you interested in it? And uh, I told him, I said, well, if I'm not, I know a guy that might be interested and he told me he just got it back. Well, it was a year. He got it back, and it was at a trainer for three months with the other dog, and uh, maybe even four months he had the trainer. I it might have been. It he was had this F- professional trainer down in Texas. And I'm like, well, yeah, bring him over. Let's see what he does. So he brought him over, and he's like, here, you can have him. And uh, I said, well, if I don't keep him, you know, I know they're out of the wheel. He said, go for it. So he left. I said, well, I want to see what this dog will do. It's, what, two years old at the time. Spent three or four months at a professional trainer. I'm going to see what it'll do. So I went out, put out three birds at the house for him. Goes up, runs the first bird up. I'm like, okay. Hasn't seen a bird in a year, so okay, I'll give him that. Second bird, he points it. I go into flush it. He breaks, tries to, tries to catch it. Okay, still a little rusty. Third bird, same thing. I'm like, hmm. Not real impressed after what I would have spent for... You know, had the dog at the, the pro trainer for four months. That's not what I was. I figured it'd be steady to wing shot and fall. And, you know, this would be a, a really steady dog. But I says, I called him up and told him what he was getting. I says, he's going to need some work to get him tightened up. But he's, he runs, he hunts, he covers ground. You know, he's a nice, give me a nice dog. But I think he wasted his money on, you know. But I mean, I, granted, now he didn't do anything but for eight months to a year. So that may have not helped. Yeah, there's some different groups of people. Uh, I think there's one group that's like, I don't have a clue what I'm doing at all. And I'm going to take a dog to a professional trainer and they don't even know what to, 
order, so to speak. They're like, here's, I got a bird dog. I want to hunt with it. But a guy that do sends, your thing with it. A guy you know? that sends that dog to that trainer, and I have trainers tell me this all the time. He trains the dog, you know, had it for a month or two. The dog will be back to where it started in three weeks because the guy doesn't know what he's doing. You still have to, there you go. I mean, you still have to I mean, you spend all the money, know the a little bit about it. training the dog. First three weeks of hunting season, you know, the dog breaks and runs a bird up and you're shooting it. You're back to square one on it. And so I took 100%. my first dog to a professional trainer for about a month. And when I went to pick him up, it was a three hour, about three hours of him training me yeah, that's on what to do. So if you do decide to go to a professional trainer, you should get a little turnover period, ideally more than, uh, three hours probably depending on what you're doing right yeah. three hours was enough for for what i was doing yeah. um and then the, the the next group of people are guys like you that that know what you're doing to a certain extent but you go i don't know how to do this or i have a problem so i think a lot of trainers get stuck with dogs that here's a problem fix it and Pro trainers are not necessarily magicians. They're pro trainers. So a lot of times they do end up with problem dogs. Well, and like what you were saying earlier, I mean, then then that dog comes back and they may have fixed that problem, but they've sometimes created another problem because that's the only one thing that they focused on. So, you know, I've, I've got a little, that little Brittany Spaniel I've got. She's got a great nose. She's got, she's got a good point. She listens great. The dog will not retrieve for anything. Um, I'm, I'm not comfortable force-fetching that dog. But I've got the concern, especially after talking to you all tonight at dinner, I've got that concern. If I send her off, what's she going to come back doing? Is there something that she's going to come back doing wrong? And that's something that I hadn't, I'll be honest, I hadn't thought about. You know, you look at my other dogs, my older dogs that I hunt hunt and field trial with now, and it's pretty amazing. My oldest dog, Gunner, um, every flaw that dog has is a flaw that I gave him. And you can see my, my next dog, Copper, he doesn't have that. And then... My, my, my next dog, you know, she's uh, her and, well, Tuck, the dog that, that Corey has and runs, you know, they're a lot, they're even better. You know, they just continue to progress and get better. And, but the dog, the flaws that the dogs have are flaws that I've given them. Um, that's really, just, that's really true with everybody. And, and so we weren't trying to scare you at dinner, by the way. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't take it that way at all. But, but the, the, the way in the, this was my like my personal decision to to train it myself instead of going to a professional trainer uh, or sending it off or me going along with the dog whatever was <clears throat> I started thinking about this and and it's kind of like I feel like yeah you can send the dog off to a professional trainer and you might get a good hunt dog back you know if it's a good professional trainer you might get some back but I feel like and this is just my personal opinion there's something missing between the handler and the dog in their bond, especially something like force fetch. And we were talking about that. That keeps coming up because that's probably the most common that I hear that, oh, I'm comfortable doing this with the birds. I'm comfortable doing basic obedience, but force fetch, send it off. And it's just like, you know, it's not that that it it seems like a bigger deal than what it is until you understand the process. But I feel like there's a lot of stuff that you gain with that dog by going through the force fetch program that it's kind of intangible and you're, you're gaining more than just a retriever at the end of the process. And so we're kind of talking about if you understand the entire process and program, so to speak, you you feel more comfortable than sending it to a trainer. 
And some trainers, I mean, I've seen some guys that just like, oh, I force fetched a hundred dogs and you'll see them throw the dog on the, the table for the first time. And they're just yanking the dog down the table by the ear saying, fetch, 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 fetch. And it's like, yeah, I mean, some, some sturdy dog might be able to take that. Not every dog's going to be able to do that. And so it's, it goes back to what I always say. If you understand the why instead of the how, and you understand the entire program, you can then adjust it for your individual dog. And then at the end of it, you have a stronger bond and a more obedient, more cooperative dog. And I just think that's a kind of a side benefit to doing it yourself. Absolutely. And that, that probably comes from our time being in the military and, and doing those things of understanding the, why are we doing this training like this, Sarge? Why is it, why are we backwards planning and do I need to know what we're doing to start the process? And you know, and I yeah. mean, the four of us, you know, have military experience, so you know we understand that. But I mean, dude, that's a great analogy because uh, a lot of people think from the outside looking into the military, they think no one, no one in the military wants to know why. They just have to listen to what they're told, or the old drill sergeant will get after them. That only works for so long until the guy like kind of sees behind the curtain and then goes, okay, I want to know why. And I don't think you run into guys straight up just saying why, but it's a great analogy because dogs are the same way. The, the, the old time way of thinking is like, this dog is going to do it. Right. I'm By a, gosh, this is its job. I think with but, force, force fetch, that's a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to hurt that dog until it fetches. And oh, that's, that's really what I thought it, the first you know? time. Yeah. And I think that's why people, a lot of people are scared to do it is because they start Thinking that, hey, you know, I, I just couldn't do that to my, I couldn't hurt my dog like that. And having force fetch my own dog, and and uh, I'm pretty uh, confident with his abilities to to do that now. I think it it was a, uh, and I got a rockhead dog, but it was a softer touch. You know, I thought it was going to have to be. You know, I thought I was going to have to be like I'm going to have to get something and, and pinch his ear with it, like to the point, like that he just loses it. You know, but maybe the first time. You know, well, but, I, I didn't have anyone helping me the first time. I had YouTube videos, so I put my six-month-old short hair on the tailgate of my truck, started pinching his ear, and then could not figure out why the dog wasn't taking this bumper into its mouth. I, I didn't have anyone to help me. So on my next dog, I had someone help me and guide me through the process. Or you've got someone right here that's force-fetched a dog and done it successfully, and you work with him, so... No excuses to send your dog to a pro trainer. I'm really putting you on the spot now. Well, and that's, <laughs> you really and that's are. where it boils down to this. So, so myself, you know, here's the backside of that. I'm in the military. I just got called. I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. for the next six months. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the back, the back end of the story, though. It's like, hey, yeah, we got this, but I'm leaving, you know, for six I months because we have talked about doing that together. And uh, and then we, it's it's like we're going to be out of out of time here. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it comes to time. And so I, I don't know if that's part of it, I guess. And kind of, and, and not that, you know, I think this whole conversation is kind of bringing back my roots of, of getting involved in bird dogs and that first mentor that I did have, um, you know, that, I mean, that guy did not, I paid 500 bucks for that dog and, and he had great lines. I mean, the next litter he had didn't cost $500. They were thousand dollar puppies. You know, he, he, that was the first litter with that. But, um, you know, I think honestly, just today, my confidence is, you know, getting a little bit stronger and 
having somebody there like Eric, but I mean, I've got Josh, you know, and Brandon to fall back on, um, you know, so I, th- I definitely think it's going to be something that I'm going to take. A- and I got the room to do it, you know, so and access the birds and everything like that. So, um, you know, but taking it back to that beginnings of, of how this all started and, and I did have a mentor and that's why that dog, you know, and that dog by no means was an amazing dog, but he found birds, pointed them, let me flush them and shoot them. And then that dog was never force fetched. He didn't retrieve his first bird until he was two years old. But after that, he brought every bird back. So, you know, I, I think that for me, the challenge of taking this puppy on is, you know, I think it's something that I'm definitely going to not even reconsider. I'm just going to do it. And, you know, my biggest thing is at first I was ready to do this by myself. You know, I can do this, no trainers, anything like that. And then Corey's got me scared to death now. He called me the other day, and he's like, Dylan, let's just send our dogs off. And I'm like, why? And he's like, well, Eric's leaving. Why? <laughs> so then I'm, I'm just scared. like, well, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, we're just going to send them off together. <laughs> so I'm over here like, you know, I've already got this whole portfolio of what I'm going to do with my dog. And now Corey's just like, yes. no, you're not going to do that now. So I'm over here freaking out. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making awesome. arrangements, you well, know. To send my dog off. I'm going to tattle on Dylan a little bit, too. You know, we kind of hit him hard. We hit Dylan hard all the time. Like, why would you even do that? You know, because Dylan's out there. He's putting in the time, and he's putting in the work. And then he does something like he... He shoots a dog that his shoots his, a dog. Uh, shoot, I apologize. <laughs> Oops! No, he shoots a. Yeah, you don't want to do that in training. You do not shoot the dog. No, what I was getting at, he shoots a he shoots a bird that his dog pointed initially pointed, but then just jumped right in and flushed it. And if you shoot that bird, you know when your dog it, is flushing, it encourages bird, it. It encourages that that dog to flush, and so yeah. it, it's you know I think we caught it plenty early enough to know that look if your dog didn't point that bird, don't shoot that bird. You know if he's just diving in on him, it don't take it long to yeah. figure out that's way more fun to flush that bird and you shoot it than him stand there and let you go and flush it. Man, that was his first pheasant. I you know I just <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was just tore up as he was. You're the, you're the typical first time bird dog owner. They don't. They just want to shoot birds. You know, they've never really been bird hunting before. Well, Their if, dog points a bird. The, the dog flushes the bird. They don't care. They just want to shoot the bird. And I was the same way. And, and we it all usually were. Reflects, we all were. Yeah, you want to go out there and just you want to go bird hunting. Yep. The dog point the bird. Dog flush the bird. Pow! You shoot it. Yep. All right. Okay. Well, if this makes it any better, my gun didn't go off. <laughs> <laughs> my gun did not go off. The the pheasant is still running around it's right a, now. It's, a, it's people, divine people, training intervention yeah. right there. And some people said too. They said, "Dylan, you're the only guy we know that would post a miss on Facebook, <laughs> <laughs> and the only guy that we know that a over and under would jam and misfire." <laughs> Man, I, I don't know what I, I happened. Think, you know, being involved in this, and, and and we all really care about, you know, at the end of the day, it's about what our dogs are doing. And, and Dylan and I experienced this year with um, the state of Kentucky does a pheasant quota hunt every year. Uh, you have to get drawn for it, and they put birds out on some game lands. And, you know, we went out there, and, and we're asking guys if they want to hunt with us because they don't have dogs. And, no, 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 I just go out there, and I need to shoot the birds. You know, for us, we, like, it's an art watching these dogs do what they do, you know, and it, if you've never seen it before, it's amazing. But we literally, I told Dylan, if them dogs don't point a bird and it flushes, no we're shoot. not shooting it. And these are seasoned dogs, you know, like, like Josh said, they're no, my, no, they're not even close to being finished dogs, but to have that 
hold back to do that. Yeah. Like Brandon said, most guys don't care about that. They just want to go out and kill something. Mm-hmm. You know, in Kansas, our, our buddy that we hunted with out there, do not shoot the covey on the covey rise. You know how hard that is to yeah. do? Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Now, sometimes you have to because, hey, bud, over the road is private land, and that, that covey's line. going there. Yeah. You know, so, but it, it takes discipline. Uh, it takes discipline, but it also takes like, this isn't about me necessarily harvesting a bird. And I think that's, you know, let's talk about what else we do as a club here or as a group of guys, or I, I like to call us a team, is we introduce a lot of other people to hunting. I mean, we, we do uh, guided hunts. People will look up this game preserve that we guide for, and we're their primary guides. And What uh, preserve is that? Oh, can I mention that one? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's uh, Dawn's Hunting and Fishing Adventures in Cecilia, Kentucky. Um, they've got about 350 acres, and they offer pheasants, chucker, and quail. And uh, you can go out there, and literally, if you wanted to buy one bird, um, we would not necessarily suggest that, but you could do that. Um, I don't know if I'm going to come and guide that one bird hunt, but uh, I'll do it. You know, it, it's great because, it, and for us, and we talked about this before, you know, that's an opportunity. I mean, like today, we moved two coveys, which was great on public land. Like for Kentucky, that's awesome. Um, I mean, when you have a small army, you know, uh, Storming the storm beaches in, of Normandy. Storming the beaches of Normandy. You know, that's you're going to do that. But, you know, the fact that we're able to do this and, and have these dogs on, I mean, the hunt that we did, what, two weeks ago, 40 chuckers and 12 pheasants. I mean, that's just. That's a lot of bird exposure for yeah. a dog. Yeah. It's, so. it's just training exposure. So we just spent probably 30, 40 minutes on doing it yourself versus pr- professional trainers. Uh, Brandon, you just mentioned something about first-time dog handlers. We don't get the opportunity to talk to people about any games, really, besides NABDA so far in this podcast. Kind of describe UFTA as a whole and what quality of dogs you typically get out of that. And if somebody's interested in looking into UFTA as their game, what would you suggest to them? Well, it's it's it promotes dogs that are out there and looking for birds. I mean, Jeremiah told me this one time, a long time ago. He says, there's bird encounters and there's bird finders. So is your dog a bird? In- like a bird encounter is your dog running through the field when it comes upon the scent, does everything it's supposed to do. But is your dog out there knowing how to look for birds and, and hunt, you know, hit the wind right, work the cover right, all that. So UFTA is... You know, these dogs are want to find the birds as fast as possible. You want to shoot the birds, like Josh said, you know, preferably one shot, and the dog's got to retrieve in the hand. So the fields, you know, most fields are fairly large. You know, when you're trying to find three birds in a eight-acre field and guys are doing it in three minutes, you know, four minutes, you can't go out there with a bootlicker. You know, the dog's got to – it's a game, first of all, too. I mean, there's a lot of dogs that – Track four wheelers and right. and they figured that out, but there's a lot of dogs that are just you know covering the ground, working the wind, hitting the birds, and and doing everything supposed to do. So you're going to see some fairly big running dogs, and and they're they know the game. They're they're looking for birds. You know, you really can't compete in the UFTA with a bootlicker. I mean, not at all. You, but the thing is, the organization is made for you can. You may not be competitive, but right. you can. So it's made for guys that have hunting dogs that. 
kind of how I got into it, think they're pretty good. And hey, it's March. There's nothing to hunt. Let's go play this game, you know, and we can play it from from basically all summer until, you know, all year long. You know, basically there's, I mean, we have trials. We've had them in July and August, you know, all the way through, you know, the fall and, and, and early spring. So it's a great way for guys to get their, keep their dogs on birds, you know, at least eight months out of the year when it's not hunting season. Uh, it's not cheap, but it's, you know, still fun to do, but it's, it's, uh, it's set up for guys that, like I said, have hunting dogs that can compete. They don't got to be steady the shot. The, the dog's got to be steady to, to point a bird, okay? Yeah, most dogs are a lot steadier than they need to be, but that also helps. You know, when we're shooting quail and, and your dog steady the shot and that bird's flying three foot off the ground, if you've got a dog that's breaking, you're not going to shoot that bird. Well, you're getting, you're getting more points for shooting that bird. So if you got a steady dog, definitely helps. But it's not necessarily you have to. We get I get a lot of I host like three field trials a year, four field trials a year, and I get a lot of new guys that come. Our club has chucker challenges, and I said, "Hey, your dog's pretty good. You want to try and try something a little bit better, a little different caliber dogs." So we get guys that, "Yeah, I'm going to try that." You know, some like it, some don't. You got to have a kind of have a competitive edge to yourself a little bit. You know. It's hard for you to go out there and, and get your butt spanked, you know, three or four times and keep coming back. And we, me and Jeremiah always said, we were just too hard-headed to quit when we first started. You know, we would get our butts whooped. Like, we'd be go like, okay, well, how do we do better next time? You know, we wouldn't just give up. And that kind of, you got to have that sort of that mentality. Like, I would say your first two runs in UFTA probably should be donated because, I mean, <laughs> I've only seen one guy come to a trial that his first time. I shouldn't say his first three times and won all three times and never been to a trial before. Wow. And he just didn't want to come but, anymore after that. But wouldn't you say also that somebody can also go into the UFTA and, and one trial just maybe get really lucky? Like they normally run 10-minute runs and all of a sudden they just stumbled yeah, upon all three birds? For sure. And next thing you know, look, they're in like the top three and for now sure. you're an addict. Absolutely. And, that's you know what, and, that's, and, that, and we hope they do that because then it hooks them. Right, right. You know, they yeah. get the bug and like they're like, okay. sharks in the right. UFTA. Right, and, 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 and that's kind of how I got into it. I, I was we would do these chucker challenges at our clubs and like, Oh, my dog's doing pretty good at it. What's the next step. And then that's when the bird dog circuit was on TV and I'd see it on TV. I'm like, well, hell my dog can do that. You know? So then I start looking online and saw that there really wasn't any bird dog circuit trials around. So I look at different organizations. I started with Upland classic and which is a different sort of organization, sort of like UFTA. We did those that were pretty close and they kind of stopped doing them. Then saw bird dog circuit on TV again and looked it up and, Saw Jeremiah had one down in West Virginia. I'm like, we're going. So went and kind of got hooked from there. Did that for a while. And then that's about when the UFTA really started really picking up some steam and really became a lot bigger organization than Bird Dog Circuit, which where we weren't, they weren't on TV, but they were a lot bigger area. You know, they covered a lot bigger. You're competing against a lot more dogs. Tell us a little bit about the judging, uh, how that works for UFTA. I mean, you've got to have some judges or field marshals or something. You have judges. Tell us what they're judging. They're, they're not judging the dog like other trials, like Nastra, AKC, all that stuff. They're judging the dog on style, how it runs, what's it look like on point, you know, how hard to hit the bird. They're basically, you got like four criteria. You got the dog point, the bird, you know, 
it can't move for three seconds. You know, the judge, when you call point, the judge calls, you know, he goes one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. Most dogs are standing there for a lot longer than that because if they're out there 80 yards and hit a bird, by the time you get to them, they're standing there for a while. But in a lot of cases, sometimes they don't, but the dog point the bird, you have to flush the bird. The dog can't flush the bird in the pointing. So you got to go up and kick the bird up. Did you shoot the bird? How many shells? And the dog retrieved the bird. So it, it eliminates a lot of bias. Like if Nastra, you know, when you when and, and they give you points for your point. Okay, what's the difference in my dog on the point got an 80 or an 85? You know, my dog in that in UFTA, did the dog point the bird? Yeah. Did it hold for three seconds? Yeah. Did the dog retrieve the bird? No. Did the, did the dog bring it back all the way to hand? Yes. Did you shoot it with three shells, two shells, one shell? And you know, it just it's pretty cut and dry on what the dog did. It it eliminates a lot of the judge's discretion. Like some guys have heard these stories. You go to an AKC trial. Oh, you got a black short hair. You're not winning today. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of politics in it. You know, we kind of eliminated like 99% of that with the UFTA. So that's kind of what I liked about it. So it's not like, Oh, this guy's got a setter. Well, the judge likes setters today or the judge likes short hairs and, you know, it, it doesn't my, matter. It doesn't you know, matter. I mean, it's if that if dog, your dog goes, goes out, out there and points a bird, and and you have a three minute run, and the dog's tail's limp as a noodle. I mean, yeah, it ain't pretty, but yeah, but it works the job. Just, but the dog did just be the dog that's the dog did it was what it was supposed right, to do. You know, and you know one thing he Brandon mentioned the Chucker Challenge. You know, a lot of these clubs have fun trials like that. You know, we don't do a Chucker Challenge, but we have fun trials that if somebody's ever interested in in UFTA or in that type of event, then I encourage them to go to a fun trial. Because first off, you don't have to join the club. You don't have to join UFTA. And you're not spending the entry fees. All you're really doing is paying for whatever the cost of the birds would be. But it's still, you know, we still have the judges out in the field. And and the other great thing about it is whenever you're doing the fun trials like that, you know, the judges are helping the new people along the way. You know, they're out there saying, hey, you know, this is what you need to do the next time, or this, this is what could help you improve that. And it's just, it's just very helpful. But the thing I like so much about it is, you know, for, for the, you know, the five of us, especially, you know, our focus is upland bird hunting. That's what our focus is um, with these dogs. And that's what the dogs are doing. You know, here in Kentucky, we don't have a tremendous amount of wild birds. So, and I think I heard it on your all's podcast in a previous episode, a gentleman say, the only way you're ever going to have a bird dog is to have birds. And this is a way to continue to keep those dogs in front of birds. And, and that's it, where a lot of guys that compete in UFTA, they don't. Well, there's a lot of guys that don't bird hunt in the UFTA just because they don't, that's all they do is field trial. They don't have the, well, I mean, if, if I lived in we North Dakota travel. or Kansas... You wouldn't see me at a field trip. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, for two yeah. years when I lived in North Dakota, there was some UFTA that were not really close, four or five hour drive, but and they were all flushing, and I didn't have a flushing dog. But did it make sense to do that? No, because I was getting on wild birds every single weekend. Yeah, you know. But the as these guys were talking, you know, the judging thing. Everybody at a UFTA trial is a mentor, like literally. The first one that I ever went to and how I met Brandon, I, I pulled my one pointer out of the truck and the guy next to me, you're a pointer guy? And he had point. I'm a pointer guy. We ended there up having two of you that day at that trial. Yeah. We only ended up having, or we actually ended up having pointers from the same guy, from, from the same bloodline. And, uh, and and I was hook, line, and sinker because we my dog you, went out we there. We right in. 
And, you know, a lot of these guys, like my first UFTA trial, I didn't even find a bird. Ruger had a three-minute run. And uh, I think, what, a seven-minute run after that? And I got seventh place out of, like, 35 dogs. So I was, like, hooked. There was no extra shells. So, (laughs) like, six. I'm I'm interested to know how much weight you guys put in a title, like the certain number of championships on one of your dogs. So when you mention a a dog that knows to track the four-wheeler and find the birds, I could say, well, that's a really smart dog that's figured it out. And I could also say... Yeah, it's a, it's a cheater or whatever, or, or maybe have, you don't place as much value on that. Right. So that's what got me asking about the judging. So this is this is why I I I I, I respect all the titles on my dogs, but when I'm wild bird hunting, those titles don't mean a thing. Those birds don't care less how many titles you have on those dogs. And there's there's dogs in the UFCA, and I have one of them that will track a four wheeler when she was in her prime, like like nobody else. But in a wild bird field, it's a different, it's a different, different dog. You know, they, it, they know it's a game and they know when you're wild bird hunting. But there's also dogs that have field titles in our game that couldn't find a wild bird. Yeah. You know? Right. They well, know after about the first uh, seven to 15 minutes out in the, in the wild bird field that uh, we're not playing that game anymore because yeah, we've yeah. gone, you know, 15 minutes and haven't flushed three birds. Well, and we've talked about that before. It's just like, yeah, when you're looking at getting a new pup, papers it's a great starting point it's a great foundation to build off of but there's a lot of nuance that goes behind those papers that it's just like to me personally i see paper and it's just like okay champion 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 to me that really means nothing to me until i get a little context behind it and find out okay there's a lot of titles out there that they're really not that hard to get if you just do it enough exactly and they it's like a lot of participation trophies out. Yes, there. yes. And, and, and you know, it's. I mean, UFTA. You you gotta to get a championship. You have to get twenty points, okay. And out of those twenty points, you have to get two first place in a trial, okay. Depending on the number of dogs, is depending on how many points those two first places are worth. And then once you get your two first, you have to accumulate the rest of the points through first, second, and third points placements. So yeah, the dogs got to beat some dogs. But I've seen guys go, there's a guy that, I'm not going to name names, but (laughs) (laughs) he will only go to small trials that compete, you know, in a a four or five dog trial, okay? And he'll bring two or two dogs in it. He wants the championships on Mm -hmm. his dog. Yeah. But you're competing against nobody. Yeah. Two of the dogs are yourself. So really at the end of the game, he wants it for breeding purposes. People see those titles, but like you said, they don't know what went into the getting those titles. Yeah, they really didn't do much to get to those titles. Right, and yep. you see when somebody's buying their first bird dog, they're going to look and see, oh look at oh, all these exactly. titles. You know, they're going to breed with those titles. Next, thing yeah. you know, somebody's three thousand dollars deep into a puppy. Yeah. You know, whereas those same puppies to a seasoned bird dog guy, you know, those might be eight yeah. or nine. This is why I tell puppies. everybody that, that that comes when I sell them a puppy, come check out my dogs. They might not be for you, okay. That's exactly what Jeremiah did with me. They might not be for you. They're a lot of dogs. And I'll tell everybody. So listen, I kind of use this analogy. I'm looking for a bird dog. Yeah, I'll take him hunting two or three times a year, but he's going to be a pal spec. Great. These might not be dogs for you. I kind of use them as like, okay, you need a Honda. These are Ferraris. Okay. (laughs) It's a little different. You know, you're not out racing that thing. You're just putting around town. These are kind of like race cars. And like these, the UFTA dogs are sort of like that. I mean, you know, you gotta 
it's a lot to handle sometimes. Have you seen the, the safety rating of a Volvo? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So it, <clears throat> and we talked about this on, on the first podcast that I did with you guys, that outlet. You know, we, we do another outlet in the summertime with our dogs, the jumping off the dock. Yeah. That's an outlet. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I think, like I mentioned before, with the new pup that I got, potential. If you get a dog from proven lines and proven, I mean, by not just titles on them, like I know Brandon hunts his dogs all over the And you've country, seen my dogs. And I've seen them more. And I, me personally, I don't know if I would want to buy a dog that I haven't seen the parents, what they've produced in the past, yep. mm-hmm. you know? I mean, Raz is what, 80, 80 kids deep now? <laughs> so <laughs> Some illegitimate. You know, with that potential from that, you know, and I think initially when I had that got in the back of my mind about sending him to a professional trainer was that I don't want to be the one quote unquote to ruin that potential, but I'm ready to take that on. And you convinced him. him and you did. <laughs> you guys did. And over that Mexican. Like 10 minutes. But, you know, one, real one dinner. You know, so are we doing it or not? We're doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it as in we're sending them or we're keeping them. Dylan's still in the, in the, he's not in the loop yet. <laughs> so, but, but what I'm getting at is, is, Doing the things that we do, and and like Brandon said, you know that that two or three times a year guy, and then he's just going to have a pet. Yeah. You know, as you guys see, and our dogs, you know, they're not couch potato dogs, and neither are your guys' well, dogs. Mine are. Yeah, they are, but they've also got you know massive Here glutes. Yeah, After and they've uh, run fifteen miles. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so but that outlet thing, and this is just another outlet, and it. In, in my opinion, whatever circuit you want to get into, it, who cares? Yeah, yep. get in a circuit. You're yeah. giving that dog an opportunity, it, which so many people don't do. We're on a, a Facebook page that Dylan got me on about short hair puppies, and they're like, "Why did this dog chew my car in half?" Uh, because you let it in the garage and didn't give it an outlet. I left my dog yeah. out. And for his first time, and he chewed a hole through the wall. Well, yes. exactly. And that's a, what I see is with either a group like us or even a, a NAVDA chapter or, or a UFTA, what you're getting is you're getting people. You're getting with a group of folks that know that have a clue, and you're going to spend time with them, see how they work their dogs, you work your dogs. You know what I'm saying? You get When you bring them that problem, you know, that problem that you can't figure out or you would already fixed it, you can bring it to other people. You know, yep. bring it to some folks that maybe have gone through the same thing. Yeah. And that's, I think, with especially like when I look at Dylan, it's like, man, you're not alone. But then we got to spend time together, too, because, you know, if you're going to do that, you got to spend time with people that are also doing hunting dogs. Well, I mean, the dogs bring so many different people together that that would not have ever even met or, I mean, had the chance to meet without them. I mean, you know, we didn't know each other two months ago, you know the dogs brought us together and now we're storming the beaches of Normandy. <laughs> but uh, and that's, that's yeah. another thing with the UFTA. I've, I've met pretty much all of my hunting buddies that we go on hunting trips together are from guys that I met with the UFTA. When we, when we it was about two years ago, uh, my one buddy won national championship. We, we placed a bunch of dogs. I won a national championship. We had a picture of us all on stage with, there was like eight of us and we all are trophies. And it was all the guys that we hunt with together. And I put on there, not bad for a bunch of hunting dogs. I mean, because that's basically, at first, that's what they are. They're hunting dogs, and we just field trial on the side. Of them. Yeah. But I've met so many people. I mean, that's how I met Corey. He called me out of the blue for a field trial. That's how I met Josh. And that's how I met these two guys. But met Jeremiah. I met 
all the people that I, you know, bird hunt with, I met through them because they're, you know, at, you know, you're, if you're a general circle of friends, very few of them may have the same interest that you have as far as bird dogs in yep. the caliber that we have. But when you go to an event like NAVDA, AKC tests, you know, all that stuff, you have a big group of guys that have the same interests. Yeah, you might not like all of them, but there's going to be guys there that you click with. And then, I mean, I have friends in Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia, Florida. I mean, we all met because of bird dogs. And we all go all over the country hunting together. Well, because I mean, of that. me and you met two or three years ago mm-hmm. at Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's just in passing. Yep. Me and you probably both left swearing that we were never going to see each other again. And now right. we're sitting exactly. out there hunting exactly. together. Like it's a Corey sp- called me. Hey, these guys, one of them knows you. They're doing a podcast. I'm like, where'd I meet him at? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I do remember these guys from Tennessee come up to Jeremiah's that weekend. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, well guys, this has been great. Uh, I guess in closing, We'll kind of do the meat eater podcast thing. Anybody got closing statements? We can kind of go around the room real quick. Anybody got any shout outs or plugs? For- um, just one thing, uh, you know, Eric and I both are active duty army. And uh, another thing that this allows us to do, and, and by no means is this our, our main focus, but we love to do it. And that's take guys out that are veterans or currently in active duty hunting and, and and the best part is guys that have never bird hunted before um you know and it's it's great when when we think that our dogs are sucking that day that you know that's the best bird dog that they've ever seen because it's the first bird dog but just like me going bird hunting one time that might get that guy into it so we uh recently linked up with the fallen outdoors uh which is an organization that does that and uh they helped us sponsor a veteran hunt that we're going to do out at the preserve that we guide at in uh cecilia kentucky and uh three of those guys won and and we're gonna do a 36 bird chucker hunt for them and uh and you know maybe one of those guys will get a bird dog right in the and next they, month. they reach a lot of people the, the fallen outdoors they they get these guys that are uh you know people they maybe they're very outdoorsy or maybe they're not and the guys that are are uh that do a lot of things in the outdoors they then sponsor hunts or, or take people out in the field that maybe don't. And so uh, with that, you know, we donate our time as guides. Uh, the Fallen Outdoors is donating the uh, uh, the birds, and, and we're just going to do that for some folks. You never know what a veteran's going through and, and how many people, how many stories we hear through the TFO where somebody's having a hard time mm-hmm. after they've separated from the military, and this is bringing veterans back together with something that's, that's fun and, and something that we all kind of have – at least a little bit, even if you've never been a bird hunter, you know, you've been around guns and things because you've been in the army and, and, uh, or branch of the military. And so they, they bring these folks back together and it really connects them back to the veteran community and, uh, know that we got each other and more than just the bird hunting, you know, we got each other through, through everything. And, uh, make sure you check us out on Facebook and Instagram, you know, like, and share. If you like what we're doing, let us know about it. If you got any questions, send them to us. And if you're on uh, Facebook and Instagram and you see a picture of a bearded man that's got about a about a two and a half foot long beard, that's wow. Dylan. Comment on his beard. Let us know what you think about it. And my awesome pictures I've been taking here lately, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's good at that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been a good time. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, let's go get after some more quail tomorrow. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram 
under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.